Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. Let's imagine life was a game of hide and seek. If the characters are God and humanity, then who is the one doing the hiding, and who is the one doing the seeking? And why does this matter? For this, we turn to Genesis 3, 1 through 10. This is a passage known as the fall, and the passage beyond it, of course, the fall of humankind. But I feel like in here we will find uh, something that's really important theologically as a God truth for us to capture and grasp today. So, Genesis 3, 1 through 10, we'll read and make some comments as we go. Um, Yep, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Let's pause there for a second. We know that God gave Adam the instructions to, that he can eat of any tree in the garden other than the knowledge, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so, of course, Adam, passing that on to Eve, she would know that that's the case. And so the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden... God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, God did not say that you couldn't touch it. But it's probably a good idea to not touch it because you can't eat from it. So much more I can say about that. But that's not the thing I want to keep in the foreground today. So whatever questions or things we need to bring up about the two trees, I have a completely different episode about that for another time. So let's press on because we have a different agenda here, okay? Um, yeah. So, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. That's the end of verse 5. And let's just pause there again because, oh man, isn't it frustrating to read a story like this and where you have the outside perspective to be able to say, the Satan, the, the serpent, Satan, serpent, well, in this case, right? Synonymous in a little bit. The serpent was telling Eve that if she ate from the fruit, the forbidden fruit, the perk of that would be that her eyes would be opened and to be like God, knowing good and evil. A little bit of a truth, a little bit of a lie. Here's the lie. Let's start with that. You will be like God. They already were like God. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Made in the image of God already. You already were like God. And I would even argue, and I would say that, describe this further in depth another time, but that like part of that image of God for them, part of the, I guess, the destiny of being an image of God as humans are, like involves a trajectory. So it wasn't like Adam and Eve were at their fullest and highest state of potential. More on that later. But with that said, that's the lie that you will be like God. We already, they already were like God. If only they could see that lie there, right? And then um, he says, knowing good and evil. And that part, that that's true. In this sense, they didn't have total knowledge of 
good and evil. More on that another time. Because again, I do want to talk, I want to talk about like angles of the fall. I feel like there's a lot of important foundational things as Christians that like could be either bypassed because we don't read the text slower or we get wrong. So we'll come back to that. Not in the foreground for today, okay? So uh, knowing good and evil. Now verse six. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit, ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. That's interesting. And he ate it. Then verse seven, then the eyes of both them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's stop there for a second. Then to verse seven. Uh, I wonder what the big deal was of them realizing their nakedness. I mean, in Genesis 2, verse 25, it says, and this is the last verse of Genesis 2, and right before chapter 3, it says, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Naked and felt no shame. Then suddenly, they ate of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they, they immediately covered themselves with fig leaves. We'll come back to that, but what's the big deal about nakedness? I think here there's something to do with their vulnerability and having a, a poor idea of an even interpretation of their own vulnerability. More on that in a moment. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, and that's Adam saying, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. All right, what was our original question today? If life's a game of hide and seek, who's hiding, who's seeking? Adam says himself, I hid. I'm the one that hid. Now, let's go back to God's question here in uh, verse 9 at the end of it. When he's strolling in the garden, uh, coming to find his people who he's in relationship with, and he says, where are you? Where are you? It's such a profound question with layers to it. I mean, just think about if someone asked you that right now. If someone asked me, where are you? I'd swear am I am sitting at my desk. Why? But there's something more to this question here more to discuss there. So if, if the fall of Adam and Eve tell us anything about human nature, it's this. We hide from God. He doesn't hide from us. In fact, the Bible is not the story of humanity seeking God, but God in search of us. And that's, that's the one God truth I want you to catch today, that the story of the Bible is of is one of God in pursuit of humanity, not the opposite. Religions will usually tell us, or to try to tell you, how to get to God, but, but the Bible tells us how God comes to us. He asks, where are you? What a question coming from the God who is omniscient, the God who knows all, asks with sincerity, where are you? Where are you? But... And by putting this question out there, he gives us a chance to respond by vocalizing our vulnerability. We get a chance to call out that we have lost our way, but he chases us. And God's pursuit of humanity climaxes in the incarnation when Jesus draws so near to us 
it becomes Yah- it's Yahweh in the flesh. He's God incarnate, having come to seek us out. So it seems that the conversation of the narrative of all scripture moves from where are you to follow me. For our Lord didn't just end up giving us instruction. It wasn't like, follow me and do this and that, etc. No. Rather, our Lord said, follow me. And what happened for those disciples? And you will see how I will ultimately solve the problem stemming back to Genesis 3. And what did he do? He sacrificed his life. And of course, Easter. (laughs) But let's just talk about the death of Christ for a moment here. As Christians, we believe Jesus' death covers our sins. This is also known as atonement. But where did atonement begin? I'll tell you what, not with the Mosaic law, not with ancient Israel. The idea, the reality, I should say, of God covering our sin started back in Genesis 3. Look again at what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3-7. Here it says, Then the eyes of both them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. They tried to cover themselves when their vulnerability was exposed. And of course, not to downplay what (laughs) exposed their vulnerability is sin. You know, we try to cover up ourselves all the time. We try to cover up and make sin seem like it hasn't affected us as much as it really has. But who are we fooling? Let me ask you, what are the fig leaves you cover yourself with? What ways do you try to make yourself seem more put together than you really are? But the story continued. It's not like that was the end of this narrative. And while God in this part you kept reading announces the dreadful reality that sin brought into the world, he also brings hope of the one who would really crush the serpent. And Genesis 3.15 is, is that verse. If you look there, Genesis 3.15, he says something interesting. God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And he's talking to the serpent here. I will put hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is known as the Proto-Euangelion, which is known as the first gospel. The first gospel announcement. Gospel being good news, of course, of the restoration, the redemption of humanity. And this is the first announcement of it, that there's going to be one who would come from the lineage of the woman, aka the Messiah, right? Who would then crush the head of the serpent. He would be the one who would destroy the very one who brought the fall of humanity. Now, it's not that humanity is not exempt from their responsibility, but there was and is outside dark influence, spiritual powers who are um, at play here when it comes to sin. That's part of it, too. And so uh, he says this amazing verse with the Proto-Euangelion, Genesis 3.15, and after this, something amazing happens. Look at Genesis 3.21. It says this, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Clothed them there. If God covered in Adam and Eve, that means that he first stripped them of the coverings they'd made. He removed the facade, came face to face with their condition. 
the reality of who they were even after their self-awareness was exposed by sin. And God, he, he personally covered them. When the text says he covered them from skins, that means some animal was sacrificed for them. Atonement. Covering. The first example of many. But all forms of sacrifice and atonement in the biblical narrative lacked fulfillment until Christ, the true Paschal Lamb, until he is sacrificed. Then suddenly there's no more need to be covered because the Messiah has covered us by his own blood. That's why even 1 Corinthians 5-7 celebrates that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, this idea of covering is so important to Scripture and is used in a variety of uh, ways throughout the Old Testament especially. But Isaiah Isaiah 61-10, a passage that is speaking, giving some seeds of hope, of salvation, says something really profound. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. Clothed with the garments of salvation and wrapped in a robe of righteousness. That's how God covers. That's how God covers. And of course, today, this, this is what we looked at. We looked at the story of the fall of humanity, and they looked at it strictly at, from the angle of really who's the one hiding. And, uh, and amongst this great tragedy, we see something of the great grace of God, and that he's the one who pursues us. He's the one calling out, ready or not, here I come. Because although we hide from God, he does not want to play that game forever. Hide and seek is not a game he's all that interested in. And the the really crazy thing, if we have a God truth that he's the one that pursues us, he's the one seeking out us, the truth about us as humans that we have to kind of uh, come to terms with is that our separation from God is self-inflicted. It isn't him stiff-arming us. It's self-inflicted. Ever since the original sin, which is of course self-inflicted, and the sins that we commit, which are self-inflicted, but the separation itself is self-inflicted because we are the ones, like Adam in the garden, who says, I saw you coming and I hid from you. We are the ones hiding. But God is calling out, where are you? So let me just, let me ask you, and I'm just, I'm really serious with this. Where are you? Not, not physically, where are you at this moment? Are you in the car? Are you at your house? Or are you at your desk? Not where are you in that sense. This, this question, as we said, has layers to it. It's a question of not where are you uh, perhaps geographically, but where are you spiritually? Where are you? Because this is coming from the God who wants to draw near. Are you covering yourself in some facade of fig leaves? Or are you allowing God to find you just as you are? Because here's the truth, my friends. There is no reason to fear saying to God, here I am, because he is the God that covers us. And as Isaiah 61, 10, he's the God that covers us in the garments of salvation, in the robes of righteousness. If we say to him, here I am, here I am. And we come out and step away from all the fig leaves, step away from hiding amongst the trees. And when he asks where we are, we say, here I am. Not that we're hiding, 
He is the God who pursues us. He is the God that takes who are lost and hiding and says, I found you. He's the God that says, I found you. Have you let him find you today? And with that, we'll see you next time on Adventures in Theology.